hearts. We thank you, Father, for your word. Speak to our hearts. Let the entrance of your words bring light and understanding unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. So last week, we spoke on a very interesting subject, where are you, God? And, and we saw how Jesus Christ was on the cross and how he cried out aloud and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we saw that that cry where Jesus cried aloud, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was not a cry of doubting God. It wasn't a cry of, of doubting whether God was there or not. It was a cry of someone who was desperate for God to intervene because of the pain that he was going through. But at that moment, God did not intervene because if God intervened, God will cut the process and there will be no result. Jesus had to hang on the cross for three hours with darkness all over him and he felt the father had left him to be by himself but it was because the father had to let him carry it for three hours your sins and my sins so that he can bring salvation to us and so we realize that sometimes god will be silent not because he is not by you not because he is not near you not because he doesn't want to help but because if he cuts through the process you will not see the result so you have to learn to trust God even when he is silent and you are crying out for help. And today there is another man who also made this same statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I want us to turn our Bibles to Psalm 22 verse 1 to 3. Psalm 22 verse 1 to 3. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Hallelujah. Today I want to speak on what I've titled Unbroken Praise. And, and I felt this title was very important for what we are going to discuss today. Because as I was reflecting on the song we just sang by Matt Redman. I realized that this would be the appropriate title for this message, Unbroken Praise. And, and I, I want you to get that song because it's going to be a great blessing to you. Hallelujah. Now, this is a psalm by David. And David was a servant of God. And, and the Bible says that God calls him a man after my own heart who would do all my will. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, that, that's what is written about David. God himself said, this is a man after my own heart. Who would do all my will. And it gives us the understanding that David was a person that was passionate about God. David was a person that was passionate about the house of God. In fact, when you read the Psalms, you see how David longs to be with God. He says, my heart longs after you. My soul pants for you like the deer running after the waters. He says, I long to be in the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired, to be in the house of the Lord. David had a strong passion to do the will of God. So God said, this is a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Everything that I want. Now, this psalm, as written by David, is, is something that David is going through. The man after God's own heart, the man who do God's will, is going through a very difficult moment of his life. 
And he's calling out to God and crying out to God and saying, God, why have you forsaken me? But, but this psalm is not just about David's pain that he's going through. David is actually prophesying about what Jesus would also go through, which is what we saw last week. And it's called a messianic psalm because David is going through his own pain, but he's talking about the pain that Jesus would go through. And so we can see from this passage that David is not just talking about his pain, and he's not just talking about the pain Jesus had to go through. He's also talking about the pain that someone will go through one day and how we can respond when we go through such a pain. And that is why this morning I pray that the Lord will speak to you. Because you might be going through the pain that David is going through, but David's response will show us how to go about it. Hallelujah. And so the very first line that David, I mean, says, he says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And, and this first um, word or first phrase, my God, my God, gives us an indication of the relationship David had with God. Now, David did not say, oh, the God of Israel, why have you forsaken me? David did not say, the God of my father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why have you forsaken me? David did not say, the God of prophet Nathan, and, and Nathan was a prophet during David's time, why have you forsaken me? David said what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because David had a relationship with God. He knew God for himself. It was a personal relationship. It wasn't a relationship that was based on some other person's knowledge of God. And today, interestingly, in Christianity, people base their relationship based on other people's relationship with God. The God of pastor, you might hear me. No. <laughs> Sometimes I hear some very funny prayers or some very funny statements people make. That I call upon the God of my father, reverend bishop, something, something, something. As if God has personalized himself to only certain people. But David is indicating to us here that he has a personal relationship with God. He knew God for himself. So in this moment of desperation, he says, my God. My God, why have you what, forsaken me? And, and right in this verse 1 of this chapter, we see that David, who has a relationship with God, and we can imagine that he has a personal relationship. In fact, the Bible lets us know how God was so proud about David and spoke about David to Samuel to go and anoint David. And yet David is saying that this God that I know, this God that I have a personal relationship with, this God that I've been in his presence always, and, and, and he knows my name and I know his name, this God seemed to have forsaken me. This is a man who is crying out and saying that God has abandoned him and left him to be on his own. I don't know, but some of us here might say that, Lord, I have served you so much. I've given myself wholly to you. I have loved you. In fact, when we call for church service, I'm the first person there. I serve with my gifts and my abilities. God, why am I going through this? You might be like David. You have a personal relationship with God. As a matter of fact, your house, they tell you you're a church girl or a church boy. Because every time you're in church... Yet, something seemed not to be going well with you, and you are crying to God, but God seemed not to be coming through. So David says, Lord, why have you left me to be on my own in this moment that I need you most? And I don't know how many of us have been in that place where you think you need God most, and you think you can count on your relationship with God as your bank account to withdraw, and yet God says, I am nowhere to be found. Interestingly, in the, in the previous chapter, chapter 21, David was actually highlighting the goodness of God, the things that God has done. 
In chapter 21, David is talking about the salvation of the Lord. He's talking about how God has met his desires. How God has blessed him beyond what he has even imagined. In fact, when you read chapter 21, you'll be so excited for David. Because he looks like someone who has everything going on so well for him. This man is full of praise in chapter 21. But in chapter 22, he says, God, where are you? And, and have you realized that life is such that sometimes, just after a moment of victory, you go through a moment of stress. I, I don't know whether you've experienced that. The last Sunday, you gave a testimony about how God did this and that for you. And then on Monday, trouble just hits you. And like, you're trying to reconcile the good thing that happened yesterday with the bad thing that just happened today. And you're trying to see, am I not the one who gave a testimony about what God did? Why is this happening to me today? And sometimes that is how life is. You celebrate a good moment and the next moment is a moment of trouble. You have a good time and the next moment is a bad time. You see God work in the past and yet in the present it looks like God is not doing anything. And sometimes that is how life is. Life is like a roller coaster. Today you are up, tomorrow you are down. But, but look at David. David has praised God in the previous chapter. In this chapter he is so sad. And sometimes we can see these examples in, in scriptures. You see Joseph. Joseph had a coat of many colors. His father celebrated him. He's the beloved son. The next moment, Joseph was in the pit. The Israelites, after they went out of Egypt with a strong, mighty hand, the next moment, they were between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. They didn't know what would happen. Joshua, after he led the people of Israel to, to go to the country of Jericho or the nation of Jericho and the walls fell flat and they defeated them, the next moment a small nation called Ai defeated Israel. Elijah, after he had slaughtered, I mean, 850 prophets, that's what the Bible says, he had defeated them. He had actually had a contest where he called fire from heaven and the fire consumed everything. He killed all these prophets. The next moment, Elijah was running for his life from Jezebel. That is how sometimes life is. You celebrate a good moment and the next moment seems to be bad. What do you do when life is treating you that way? What do you do when you are moved from a moment of victory to a moment of depression? When you are moved from a moment of victory to a moment of desperation? And, and look at what David says next. David says, why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? So, so David is not saying that, Lord, you have only left me. You have only forsaken me. He says, why are you so far from helping me? And I can, I can understand David. Because David wrote in the Psalms and said, God is a very present help in trouble. Now, when he says he's a very present help in trouble, it means that when you are in the trouble, God is right there to help you. And, and David was the one who wrote this, but at this moment, he says, God, by you, I know you. When I dial 911, you are here. <laughs> or in Ghana, when I dial 191, you are here. I'm not talking about the, the ambulance where you call and two days later, they come. No, no. David says that, God, when I call you, you are a very present help in trouble. You appear in that moment. Why is it that this time you look, you look so what? Far away. And like last week I said, it's like you are dialing the number and says the number you are trying to reach is either switched off or out of coverage area. <laughs> I don't know how many of us have felt that way, God. He says, why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning. Now, David is saying that he is groaning, he is crying. In fact, the Hebrew word gives us an indication of a lion that is roaring who is in pain, 
who is in discomfort. And if you watch any of these National Geographic uh, features or an animal or something, you see when, an, an, when a lion is in pain and it is roaring, it's like you, it, it's, it's trying to cry for help. Eh? And at the same time, it's trying to like, push a little bit of the strength that it has. And it's like, this is the last strength I have. I'm trying to push. God, why is it that this last strength I have to push and call out for you, you are still not hearing me? In fact, this is the time that David was not praying that kind of prayer where you sleep on the bed and then like, God, I thank you. You do the Hey, then you pray again five minutes. I, have you realized that kind of prayer? How many of you are making me feel like I'm the only person who, who prays that kind of prayer? <laughs> the, David is not on the bed sleeping and praying and sleeping in and praying. David says that, no, where I have got to, it is a very serious situation and I need God to come through. And, and I'm sure if he was in Ghana, he would have been on Atria Mountains and crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? And I know some of us have been in those moments. You've declared fast for yourself. 30 days fast. You have been praying and crying out. When they look at you, they're like, why are you growing slim? Oh, I don't know. Everything is all right. But you know you are crying out to God. And he says, Lord, you are not even listening to my groaning. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning. But look at the next statement he makes. And it gives us a deeper understanding of the pain David is going through. He says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime. But you do not hear and in the night season, and I'm not silent. David is going through a very difficult season of his life. But in this season, there are different moments. And this is what I call seasons in season. You, you can be going through a very difficult season of your life. But within that season, you have moments within that. Have you realized sometimes you are, you are going through a very difficult moment of your life for about three months. Things are just not working well. But within that moment, you have flashes of some good things that could happen. Like, your business is not doing well, but within those three months, people call you and ask about what, what can be done. They, they ask, but nothing really happens. And, like, when they call you, you get excited, like, wow, finally a contract is coming. That's called a daytime in a very bad season. There seems to be hope. There seems to be strength. There seems to be something good about to happen, but it never happens. And David says that in this moment where I had my daytime and I thought things would work out well, I cried to you and it never worked out well. Then I got to my night season because in the daytime when you have hope and you have, you have looked forward to help and it never comes, when you get to the night, there is no hope at all. You see, like your business, in the daytime, people are calling and asking. They never come. But in the night season, they don't even call at all. Now, which of you will pray? When you have prayed at the time that there seemed to be hope that something would work and it never worked, and you got to a point where there was no hope, would you continue to pray? Now, David says that in the daytime, I cried, you did not hear. But in the night season, I am not silent. Because David understood that no matter how long this season might be, no matter how difficult this season might be, this God that I serve will definitely come through. So even when I get to the most hopeless situation, I will still not be silent. I will cry to God. This morning, I'm here to ask you, would you still cry to God if he did not hear you during the daytime and you got into your night season? Would you call to God when they called you about that contract and you are almost landing the contract and it never landed? Or your, your marriage, you have been praying about that particular husband or wife and, and it's like the person was just about changing and never changed. 
or, or the school fees that you were expecting, they, they, they told you that, oh, come tomorrow to the office. And you go to the office and they told you, oh, something happened. I can't give it to you and never came. Would you still call God or cry out to God when you rather get to the next phase and that marriage has become worse from good, good to bad to worse? Or, or when there's no hope in the workplace and you're expecting a promotion and, and every other person is being promoted but you. Would you still cry out to God? David says that I got to my daytime, God did not hear me. I got to my nighttime, I will not be silent. Now, now there's something that David says that makes us understand and that's, this is where we're, we are coming into the core of the message. That makes us understand why David still cried to God even when God did not hear him. Look at the next thing that David says. But you are holy. Turn to your neighbor and tell the person, but you are holy. Or turn to another person and tell the person, don't tell the person you are, I know the person is holy, but you are talking about God. Say, but you are holy. Now, now David has cried. He has talked to God. More like complained to God and told God how God has been absent. But look at David's attitude. He says, I know all these things are bad and God, you seem not to be coming through, but you are holy. Now, when he uses the word bad, he's giving us a contrasting view. He says, yes, I know where I am is a bad situation. I know where I am is not good. I know where I am is not the best. I know where I am is a desperate place. My friends are laughing at me. My family are laughing at me, but you are holy. Now, when David says that, but you are holy. The, the Hebrew word he employs there, in fact, that word holy actually means eminence. The, the, the Hebrew word kadosh means God's eminence. That means a high status where no one comes close. A high status where he's superior above all else. In fact, this Hebrew word actually has an understanding of separation. That means to be set apart. It means that God is set apart from all other gods. So David says that, Though I am going through this difficult moment and God seems to be silent and God seems not to be minding me, I know that God is God above all other gods. I know that God is superior above all others. I know in status, no other God comes near God. So even though I'm going through this difficult moment, I will not trade God for any other God because no one comes anywhere near this God. Sometimes you hear believers and they go through a very difficult, some small moment. It's like, Pastor, I want to go and make inquiries somewhere. Inquiries where? He says that, but you are what? holy because you are set apart you are separated you are different from all other gods you are high above all other gods i don't know what situation you are going through but you can also come with a statement and say lord but you are what holy you are above all others now when david says that you are holy it is a declaration that god is god by himself he is God all by himself. There is no other God like him. He is God all by himself. It is a declaration that there isn't anyone in existence as God. It is a declaration that God is in his own league. When we talk about God is in his own league, it means that God doesn't play by sizes. You know, we have this very interesting statement, monkeys play by sizes. God doesn't play by Because God, I mean, God is in his own class. No other God comes anywhere near God. 
It is a declaration that you can't put God together with other gods and compare them. In fact, it is an irrational comparison. What David is saying is that, like me, I have finished my master's degree, and then you start comparing me with Asayi and, and Aram. It is, you can't compare us because there's a wide gap. If you put us together to write the same exams, I mean, to write their exams with them, you say that, why do you put Asayima in the same class with Asayi and Aram? Because it doesn't make any sense to do what? To put them in the same class. And David says that God is holy. You can't put God together with all other gods on the same level and even compare them. Because in the first place, they are nowhere near his league or his class. So David says that I'm going through a difficult moment. I'm going through a hard time. But Lord, I acknowledge that you are God above all others. That I acknowledge that in this moment, there is no other person I want to cling on than to you. And that's what I want to tell you this morning. That no matter what you are going through, you have to get to the place where you can tell yourself that I will not trade God for any other thing. I will not trade God for any other human being. I will not trade God for any other God. I will not trade God for any other deity because God is far above all others. Sometimes you hear people and they tell you that, Pastor, I will come to church. I'm trying to sort some few things before I come out. What are you trying to sort? Now, who is greater than the things that you are going to sort? Is it that person that has promised you who can die tomorrow? Oh, yeah. COVID has taught us lessons that people can be alive today and tomorrow they will not be around. Is, is it that person that can disappoint you? I mean, say all the nice things to you and the next moment tell you that, oh, the things that I was bringing are locked up on, on, the, what, on the ship in the, in the Suez Canal somewhere and, and I think I can't help you. Is it that person you are putting your hope in? David says that although I'm in a difficult moment, I will not elevate anyone or anything above God because God is far above all others. And we can also have the same attitude and the same response. No wonder the Israelites said in Exodus 15 and 11, they said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? And this is when the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea. Remember, they had come out of Egypt and Pharaoh was chasing them and the Red Sea was behind, before them and, and they were crying to Moses, Moses, what will you do? What will you do? And then God opened the, the way through the Red Sea. Do you know what the people said? The same people that were complaining said, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? So, so look at something that is written, written in Isaiah 46, verse 9 to, 9 to 10. It says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is what David was saying. David was saying that there is no one like God. Because this God declares the end from the beginning. So although I am going through a hard time in my life, that hard time does not change the things that God declared from the beginning. Oh, some of you did not get that. That God declared the end from the beginning. He had already written my life. He had already declared that I will be a success. And so this temporary moment of pain will not defy what God is going to do in my life. And I can almost see that you can also praise God. 
and say that, Lord, regardless of what I find myself in, it will not change your declaration concerning my life because you declared the end from the beginning and you say your counsel will stand. So although I feel like you have forsaken me, although I feel like you have left me to be on my own, I know that your word concerning my life shall not fail because you are God above all others. Can you use 30 seconds to just give God praise in this place and thank God that his declaration concerning your life will not change. What God has said concerning your life will not change and so you can praise him through your troubles. Oh, I don't know who I came to talk to today. That, that look, your situation might look very hopeless before human beings, but I can tell you for a fact that that situation is not changing God's plan concerning your life. Oh yeah. Yes, you might have waited and waited and waited and they are telling you, why are you still waiting? Waiting for that job, waiting for that marriage, waiting for that child, waiting for that school fees, waiting for that school opportunity, waiting for that contract. And you are waiting and calling on God and it's like it's not working. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't change God's plan concerning your life. As a matter of fact, it is part of God's plan for your life. Oh yeah, it might take long, but it will come to pass. Abraham waited for 25 years, but it came to pass. Oh, the children of Israel waited for 430 years, but it came to pass. With God, time is nothing. Yes, it might take 430 years, but with God, time is what? Nothing. He declares the end from the beginning. And let me let you know that your beginning is an indication that your end is already completed in God. That is why no matter what you are going to, you can also cry like David and say, but you are what? Holy. But look at, look at, look at what follows. Look at what follows. He says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. So, so David is saying the Lord, you are holy. You stand out as God. But, but there's something about you, and that is the fact that you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. And the word praise that David uses here is, is the word tehillah, which means laudation. It means that a song of praise. In fact, this word actually means that you are declaring the goodness of God publicly. You are letting people know how good God is. You know, you can praise God wherever you are. You can praise God in the bathroom. You can praise God in the, in the kitchen. You can praise God in the bars on the streets by yourself and sing to God. But, but David is saying that, look, when it comes to praising God, the word Tehillah here actually is a declaration of God's goodness in the sense that I publicly declare what God has done. So I might be going through a difficult moment. I might be going through a hard time. I might be going through a, a, a very most troublesome moment and people are looking at me and they can't, they can't actually marry my life with the things that I profess. But David says that I can learn to publicly declare the goodness of God. What David is saying is that I don't have to wait for something good to happen in my life before I declare God's goodness. That, that when people come and they give testimonies that, oh, God did this for me last week, and God did that for me last week, and God did that for me last week, and I have not seen anything tangible that God has done, I can still come and declare that, look at me, I am alive. I still have breath. Look at my dress. I, although I don't have all the money in the world, I, I, I can still see God has clothed me. Although I don't have everything, for the past one month, I've not had any job, but I've eaten every single day. Oh, some of you did not get that. Because sometimes your mind can be so much on the problem, and you forget about the little things that God does for you on a daily basis. So David says that we have to declare the goodness of God what, publicly. 
Now, now, now this, this word tehillah gives us a structured way of acknowledging God publicly. In, in other words, what you're saying is that although I can praise God by myself, I want to come into the assembly of the saints and join them together to praise God. I realize sometimes some of the worship leaders can be so annoying when you're going through a very hard time and they tell you, forget about all that you're going through and praise God. Like, you don't know what I am going through. But David is saying that, yes, when you come into the assembly of the saints and when you come together with other brethren, yes, you might be going through a hard time, but, but in that moment, forget about all you are going through and set your gaze on God and declare his goodness and worship him and lift your hands up and say, Lord, you are good even in this dark hour. God, you are good even when I'm leaving this place and I don't know what I will eat the next moment. I know you are good. Now, now David understood this. And so, regardless of what you are going through, your praise is not circumstance dependent. Your praise is not circumstance dependent. It is the expression of God's goodness in your life publicly because what? He is good all the time. I we realize we make this statement, God is good all the time, all the time. And we say it and it becomes a cliche. God is good, then you respond all the time. All the time, God is good. But we don't think about it so much. The fact is that God is good all the time. And because he's good all the time, whether I'm in the good or the bad or the ugly season of my life, I can still declare the goodness of God. Because as for God, he's still the constant factor. He doesn't change. My circumstances can change, but God does not change. So I can declare his goodness at all times. This is what I call unbroken praise. And broken praise means that my praise does not break when my circumstance changes. Oh, some of you did not get that. My praise does not break when my circumstance changes. Even when my circumstance changes, I still maintain my praise. Even when my circumstance moves from bad to ugly, I still what? Maintain my praise. David understood that just as he praised God in the previous chapter, for everything that God had done in his life, he could also praise God in this moment of silence. David knew that God is good and, and in, in the good, he is still the same God in the bad. David knew that he's the same God in the good and the same God in the bad. David was convinced that his praise to God was not circumstance dependent. David understood that a life of unbroken praise is a life that expresses God's goodness at all times because God is good all the time. Today, you can also make a resolution and say, I want to have a life of unbroken praise. I, 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 I don't want to only sweet mad God when everything is going well for me. In the season where, oh, like, oh, then the next moment, a check has come. The next moment, Momo has come. The next moment, something. God, you are good. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That, I mean, those seasons, you come to church and your, your walking changes. You have a new dress and like, oh, you're smiling. And Pastor Ima says, oh, why are you so smart? Oh, Pastor Ima, God is good. No, no. Let me hear God is good when everything has been held from you and you're coming to church and you heard another bad news. Let me hear you coming into the house of the Lord and say, God is good. God is good. Yes, it, it might be hard, but God is good. It might be difficult, but God is good. It, it might not be easy, but God is good. But look at what he says. He says that it is when, when the people of God learn to praise God and declare his goodness, God becomes enthroned in their praise. 
Now, now the old King James uses the word inhabitest. And, and this word inhabit means to dwell, to remain, to abide. It means that when we praise God, God comes to dwell in our praise. He comes to make our praises abode. He comes to make our praises home. It says, I'm not just visiting. I'm coming to live in the praise. And when God lives in your praise, you can imagine what God will be doing about your situation. And, and this word, inhabit, also means to settle or to marry. In fact, the understanding is that, that God comes to give you a lifelong commitment in your praise. See, when you praise God, God says that I'm reassuring you of my lifelong commitment. Do you know marriage, we have this vow for better, for worse. Now, when you are praising God, God, God tells you that, look, you might be in the worst, but I'm still there. You, you might be in your worst, but I'm still there. Now, this word enthroned or inhabit means to sit in judgment, in ambush. And, and, and this word gets very interesting. It means that God comes to sit in our praise in judgment against the enemy. And he brings us victory. So when we learn to praise God in the midst of the conflict and the troubles and the hard times, you know what God does? God comes to sit like a king on his throne and he starts passing judgment against everything that is fighting against your life. Everything that's fighting against your marriage. Everything that's fighting against your business. Everything that's fighting against your finances. Everything that's fighting against your health. God comes to sit as a king and he begins to execute judgment against these things. So you know what? The next time you feel like complaining, turn your complaint into praise and begin to declare the goodness of God because as you declare his goodness he comes to dwell inside that praise and he makes your praise his throne oh you didn't get that he makes your praise his throne and he sits on that throne and he begins to judge your case for you so, so look at something, look at something very interesting in Acts chapter 16 verse 22 to 27 when you have a life of unbroken praise Something happened to Paul and Silas. Then the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Another person says they were praying and praising God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Look at something. Paul and Silas had gone about God's work. They had delivered a little girl from the spirit of divination. And, and, and they are seeing God do miraculous things to them. The next moment, remember, from a good time to a bad time. The next moment, they were arrested and they were beaten. They, their clothes were torn and they were beaten. And the Bible says that they were, they were thrown into the innermost prison and fastened with stocks. Now, those times when they give you the stripes and they beat you, your flesh tears. And, and so you need your hand to at least try to keep the pain and massage. But here's a case where Paul and Silas, with all the pain they were going through, their hands and their feet 
were put in stocks or in chains. But look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that even in that darkest hour, even in that moment of pain, even in that moment where it looks like there was no hope, Paul and Silas began to pray and they did something. They praised God. And when they praised God, the God who inhabits the praises of his people, the God who is enthroned in the praise of his people, he came into that praise and he caused the chains to break and he caused other prisoners to also be loose because he had come to sit in judgment for these people. If you learn to praise God in your circumstances, you will see how God would arise on your behalf. I thought someone was going to praise God in this moment. I thought someone was going to take some 30 seconds to 60 seconds and begin to praise God and, and begin to magnify the name of the Lord. The moment you bless the Lord and exalt the Lord, God comes into your praise. He's enthroned in your praise. He habits your praise. He dwells in your praise. Why don't you lift up your voice and thank God? Why don't you lift up your voice and praise God? Even before I finish the message, you want to say the Lord Lord, I want to forget about my problems and I want to give you some praise in this place. I want to forget about my troubles and I want to exalt you in this place. I want to forget about the hard time I'm going through and I want to lift your name on high because Lord, you are far greater than my problems. Come on, give the Lord some praise in this place. 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 Hallelujah. When you learn to praise God, he will arise. And establish his throne in your life. The reason why Paul and Silas were able to praise God even in that prison with their hands tied and their feet tied is because they had a life of unbroken praise. Because when you have a life of unbroken praise, you tell yourself, my hands might be changed, my legs might be chained, I might be beaten to death, but I will rise and praise God. Now, now finally, David says something in Psalm 34. Verse 1 to 4, that gives us an understanding of a life of unbroken praise. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord when? At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, come on, look at that. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, do you know when David wrote this psalm? David wrote this psalm when Saul was chasing David. And he had actually chased him out of the palace. And the Bible says that David went to the priest, Ahimelech, went to the priest and then he was so hungry he asked for bread. And the bread was a holy bread that was supposed to be reserved in the temple. Yet David asked for that to be given to him. After he took the bread, David realized that Israel was not safe for him. And David was an enemy to the Philistines. But David realized that, look, in Israel, I'm as dead as nothing. So let me go to the Philistines. He got to the Philistines to Achish the king. And, and the Bible says that the people reported to Achish and said, this is the one who killed Goliath. Immediately, David faint as a madman. The Bible says he started pretending like a madman. He put saliva on his beard. He scratched the doors. And then the, the king said that, why have you brought a madman before me? And David escaped and the next place he went to was the cave of Adullam where there was no food, no provision and 400 people who were in debt, who were distressed, who did not have anything had gathered to him. Can you imagine the trouble from one trouble to the other trouble to the other trouble and now you are not alone. You have 400 other people who are counting on you 
<laughs> Sometimes you realize that you yourself, you are going through a difficult moment and someone is counting on you. Someone is counting on you to solve their problems. They call you and say, oh, I need money. And you know you don't even have 10 CDs in your wallet. And, and David was in this situation. He had these 400 people and they were, they were there. And David had moved from one trouble to the other trouble to the other trouble. But look at the sound David wrote. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What he's saying is that I will bless the Lord at all times. I will have an unbroken praise. He says that, look, Saul has chased me. I am running. I don't even have a place to stay. I am staying in a cave, but I will bless the Lord at all times. You, you and I are not staying in a cave. No one is chasing you out of your house. You are still in your house. No, no, no. 400 people haven't gathered to you with their debt for you to help them to solve their problems. And yet, David says that even though I'm going through this, I can still praise God. How much more you? Why can't you lift your voice and say that, Lord, I can still praise you. I, I can still praise you, Lord. Even, even if I don't have anything, I can still praise you. Because when I think I don't have anything, I actually have something that someone needs. So I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mind. When you learn to praise God regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in, not only will your life have a life of unbroken praise, it will be a life of unbroken testimonies. Because as you praise God more, you will see the hand of God more. And you begin to testify more. So your life is not only a life of unbroken praise, it is a life of what? unbroken testimonies. I don't know who will move beyond their troubles and their problems today and that thing that has been on your mind and that thing that makes you cry so much and that thing that makes you feel God is not there and begin to offer praise to God and join David and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why don't you rise to your feet and begin to bless the Lord in this moment? Why don't you lift up your voice and begin to thank God? One of the things that I used to do was, was to thank God even even about the things that I'm going through. For instance, I don't have money. Lord, I thank you for the money that I don't have. I, I thank you for what you're about to do. I, I don't have this, but Lord, I thank you. This is happening, but Lord, I thank you for this situation. Why don't you lift your hands up unto the Lord and say, Lord, begin to bless the Lord and thank God concerning that situation that looks hopeless, that situation that looks helpless, that situation that looks like nothing is going to work out for you. Lift up your voice and bless the name of the Lord. Lift up your voice and adore the Lord. Lift up your voice and exalt the Lord. Lift up your voice and bless his holy name. He is so great and greatly to be praised. He is so worthy of our praise. Oh, open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord. Open your mouth and bless the name of the Lord. We bless you, Lord, even in the darkest hour. We bless you, Lord, even in the most difficult moments of our lives. We bless you, Lord, even in the most unfortunate season, oh God. We bless your holy name, oh God. We praise you, oh God for you are worthy of our praise oh lift up your voice and say Lord I will bless you I will bless you at all times your praise shall continually be in my mouth I will bless you at all times my soul shall make its boast in you oh God Lord even in the darkest hour I will sing unto you oh God even in the most difficult moment I will praise you oh God even in the hardest time I will lift my voice on praise unto you oh God lift up your voice and 
bless the name of the Lord. For the Lord our God is good. He is good all the time. And we can also say, but you are holy. But you are holy.